Hi, this is Matt from Working Fintech. Today I'm joined by Helen Lip, who's just finished a master's degree in innovation and technology management at Bath. And today we're interviewing Andy Mosson from JP Morgan. Hi, Andy, can you tell us a little bit about your role and what you're doing at JP Morgan? And then we're going to talk a bit more about fintech. Absolutely. Hey, Matt. Hey, Helen. Good to see you guys. Andy Mawson. I work in the FICC e-sales team at JP Morgan. I'm responsible for strategic partnerships with third-party distribution platforms and also with some of our major trading clients. Hi, Andy. Thanks for joining us today. For our listeners, how would you define fintech? Why is fintech important and how does fintech affect your daily business at JP Morgan? How would I define fintech? Financial technology. I think fintech is a catch-all for really the growth and innovation that we've seen in financial services in the last you know, five to 10 years. You know, If I think back when I first joined JP Morgan eight years ago, there were a few incubators around Canary Wharf. We were looking after some small startups. I think you fast forward to 2021 and fintech is a ubiquitous phrase. Anyone in the banking industry and especially in markets understands as being innovative technology that's probably going to disrupt existing business practices and hopefully delivers better solutions than we've had previously to, uh, to our clients. And what fundamentals do you associate with fintech and how do you as a large financial institution work with fintechs? What fundamentals are important? So I guess it boils down to three things. The strength of the people and management team, quality of the product, and probably more important than those to the timing. And timing can be a critical success factor, especially in financial services when you're faced by macroeconomic input, you're faced by regulation, legislation, legal challenges from incumbents, and so on. I think management is very important. I think as a financial institution, we value fintechs who have strength and depth and experience, but also experience that comes from a varying range of, of industries and not just finance. And then, you know, on the other point, product, you know, quite often we see the right people at the right time with not a very good product. Obviously, you need a decent product to make a headway and succeed. Concerning skills and experience, what is the most valuable skill or experience that you have learned or made while working, which help you to master challenges in your work and how did you develop them? So you mean experiences or attributes? I would say both. First of all, of course, experiences you have made where you were thinking, okay, um, this will help me in the future, but also attributes or skills which you developed after time. You know, it's a, it's a cliche. I think undoubtedly the most valuable experiences you have are when you fail or come close to failing. So I'm sure that everyone can relate to that. I think that in the markets business where I work, you know, failure isn't seen as a bad thing, especially if you've done your job right. So to fail repeatedly, trying different things and then to succeed is is a very common path in this industry. And in actual fact, you know, I think it's a it's a great marker of having a truly innovative solution because let's face it, in financial services, it's really difficult to reinvent it. Concerning learning new things and trying out different things, you have a very interesting non-finance background. Having been a flight lieutenant at the Royal Air Force for a few years, you studied physiology and marketing, 
before doing an MBA in strategy and finance. And later on, you moved on to a sales desk and later into trading technology at JP Morgan. Was this career path planned and what kind of challenges did you face in each? Great question. Uh, very unusual background for, for an industry like this. Less of an unusual background for JP Morgan. I think we actually have a bit quite a diverse you know, colleague pool. So I think that it definitely wasn't planned at university, the same as many young people. I wasn't necessarily sure on what my career path was going to be. You know, I uh, I was lucky enough to be signed up by the Royal Air Force for a bursary scheme. They helped contribute towards my university tuition. They taught me how to fly. It gave me a very defined path to follow. I, you know, I spent, you know, some very enjoyable years in that organization. And I think that when it came time to pivot into a new career, for me, there was probably only one industry that really matched the military in terms of meritocracy, its collegiate nature, the drive, and you know many of the other attributes you would associate with both military and finance. I'd started my MBA as I was leaving the military. I started at the day that Lehman Brothers crashed, which was uh, great timing. Probably only better timing than the, the guys who were finishing at their MBA that year. And I went to Cash Business School in the city to be in, in a banking environment, to be surrounded by one of the greatest financial centers in the world. I really enjoyed my MBA because of the very tough job market at the time. I spent a lot of time networking, um, but there were really no jobs available in any, any finance related company at all. So I managed to you know secure couple of roles, you know, first as a consultant at KPMG, secondly in a corporate that really provided me a route into the civilian world and helped me learn to speak, you know, more of a business language and, and to really pivot myself into my new career. And then, you know, three years out of my MBA, I had the opportunity to apply for a role at JP Morgan. It was a generalist role in a product team. JP Morgan were starting a platform called JP Morgan Markets at the time, which you know, I guess is one of the original fintechs. And I was lucky enough to that they saw the value in having somebody with, with the skill set that I had. I think that on your question of, I think you said, what have I taken through those careers? One of the things that the military taught me was resiliency. And, you know, I guess that comes back to the comment I made earlier about, you know, failing then succeeding, being able to carry a sense of resiliency through whatever you do to eventually get to your end goal is uh, an extremely valuable experience, attribute, value. I don't know what you call it, but, you know, it certainly leads me. Would you also consider resilience as a transferable skill, which you have learned? And how do you mostly use it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a core transferable skill. Use it every day to get up at 5.30 a.m. and come to the office and uh, to leave here relatively late at night and to do a lot of business travel. And in my role, I'm at the bleeding edge of innovation within our markets business. And that can be tough at times, you know, when you're always working on new products and selling into an uncertain market. But just roll with the blows every day and you, you move on and you eventually succeed. And can you think of any benefits one can have if having a rather untypical finance career? Do you think it has more advantages or disadvantages? I think if you were thinking pre-financial crisis 2008, I think it would be pretty difficult to make a success of a career or a second career in finance. I think the finance industry's HR specialists talk about T-shaped employees. I think for a long time, the finance industry had I-shaped employees who you know rolled 
rolled into a job off of a, a graduate program that they fought very hard to get on and rolled into a job on a desk and stayed in a relatively defined function or, or product for 20, 25 years, uh, became experts at it and probably retired having done not too dissimilar a job to what they started doing. I think post-financial crisis, the world took a look at, you know, the employees, the, the, the roles that people had, the employees that filled them, what success was going to look like going forward. And, you know, plenty of organizations started to recruit more broader than they had done previously. You know, I think JP Morgan did a great job of that. We have, you know, ex-military program, we have school leaver programs, we have a, a whole host of non-traditional entry routes. And, you know, because of that, we we have a whole host of generalists within this organization. I'd consider myself to be a generalist who's slowly going from being, I guess, a hyphen shaped person uh, into a T-shaped person. And, you know, it's taken me eight years, but, you know, I think I know the market's business pretty well now. Yeah, I would see myself positioned, hopefully, to be in this industry and in this career for time to come. Just picking up on your comment around grads programs, obviously you did not go through one and you went through a kind of a slightly different route. Would you say they are important to graduates who are, who are coming out of university now because it's so competitive for students and grads to try and get on these grad training programs because there's only a finite number of them. The elite kind of universities normally kind of have, you know, first pick of the jobs and it gets harder and yeah. harder as you go below that. Going, to, um, thinking about that as a route in and you've taken a different route, now that you've been in an institution for a while, what's your thoughts on that and what advice would you give to young people who can't get on a grad program? I think grad programs undoubtedly provide a, a well-trodden path into a successful career in big organizations. I think the, you know, the very nature of the selection process means that you've already succeeded in getting ahead of your peers and you really get in the door first and probably the best training you could imagine for a, for a role within that organization. I think that, and I guess I would say this being a generalist, but you know, I think the broader an employee, the broader the skill set, the broader experience, the better. You know, I always, when I'm hiring or, or involved in the hiring process, I don't look for someone. I don't automatically put someone top of the pile because they've been in a grad program. You know, I look in and around the experiences they've had. I, I look for someone who's been in an organisation and left to try something and failed at it and come back or. You know, someone who's gone through a non-traditional route or someone who's gone through a grad program. You know, I think you have to have a blended field of candidates as you're hiring. So they're important. If you can get on one, fantastic. It's not the end of the world if you don't get on one. Have you any advice for graduates who didn't make it on a graduate program, but also, for example, for young professionals with a few years of work experience who are thinking about a career change? What advice would you give them? So if I think back to my own personal experience, I think there was a few things that I was advised to do and a few things that I decided to do myself. So one, I gave myself some time to think about what I really wanted to do in making a career change, because I think, and I'm probably relating this to someone with five years experience is moving on. I think if you've done five years in one career and you're pivoting into another, you probably want to make the right decision. I don't think you want a rapid pivot again. So it's important to take the time to do that. I did that through doing an MBA. Um, full-time there's many other ways you can do that you know and I, I think that's personal choice the other thing to do is to make sure that you're equipping yourself with the right skill set for that new role that you want to get into again 
probably two birds with one stone. I did an MBA and it kind of gave me the right language to talk and it gave me enough of an insight into the industry I was going into to be able to at least be on some sort of common footing with the people that I was talking to about roles and jobs. Probably more important than that is, in, and it feeds into the first two points, cast your network as wide as you possibly can. The most valuable asset, and I don't mean this in a, anything other than a, an, in a generous way, the most valuable asset you can have is your network around you. Not everyone you meet. Networking, people think of as you meet people to get a job. Network's not about meeting people to get something. Networking's about meeting people to help them. If you network to meet people to help them, at some point, you'll help enough people that someone will help you. And they will help you through many ways. They'll help you through teaching you something, through connecting you with someone, not connecting you to someone as in to putting you off of something, someone. You know, I think that's it. So I think it's the give yourself time to think about what it is you want to do. Equip yourself with the right skills and build your network, throw your network wide. For example, if I applied for a role at your department at JP Morgan, with which must-haves could I convince you to hire me? I mean, you mentioned before that it's very important to um, have a broad mindset, to be resilient. What other must-haves do I need to have? Being in a fintech and sales-related function, obviously, you have to be relatable. You have to be good with people. It's not as easy as it sounds. I think that uh, a lot of people think they're good with people and, and maybe aren't. I think that being able to demonstrate your resilience, I know that's a word I've used a few times, I think that is very important and you can do that through your broader experiences. I think that being willing to learn is extremely important too. What you will pick up as you move into a market's business as a generalist is there's always going to be someone that knows more than you. So as long as you're willing to accept that and just always be willing to learn, you know, sometimes it requires studying the most inane articles at 10 p.m. at night for a meeting the next day just so you kind of have an inkling of an understanding of what that person does for a job, then that's very valuable too. I think those three attributes, be relatable and good with people, have resilience, be willing to learn. Is this also what excites you mostly about your job or are there also other factors? Those are key factors as a while of my job. Why I really love my job, I get to be at the bleeding edge of innovation in one of the top businesses in the world, surrounded by some of the smartest people in the world with almost infinite resources to, that can be deployed behind the right business case. It's a bit of a dream job, really, in fintech when you think about it. Would you not want to go on the other side of the fence and work at a fintech? Is that something you kind of ambitions for in the future? Working at a startup is the ultimate generalist role that you can do. Yeah, you know what? Maybe in another 10 years' time when I've cut my teeth and figured out where the opportunities are, yeah, I could see myself doing something like that, to own something and to really take a risk. And I've got a huge amount of respect for people who do that. Looking into the future... How do you believe will the fintech industry, landscape and environment change and develop in the next five years, but also 10 years? In the next five years, I think that the major financial institutions will continue to pile into fintech and will make the space very busy. I think they will look to hire entrepreneurs who have been at fintechs that haven't succeeded. I think they will look to acquire fintechs that have succeeded. But I also think they will continue to be willing to fund fintechs, which they think can succeed. Major players like exchanges, trading venues, banks, even some big buy-side organizations will, will really continue to pile into that space. In 20 years' time, I don't know, that's too far out for me. I think five years and beyond, 
I almost think the phrase fintech goes away and it just becomes the norm. I think that the world's been through a pretty horrific experience with COVID-19. If there are any good things that are going to come out of it, it's, it will have taught us that there are new ways to do business and new ways of being a business. And I think, you know, fintech investment plus that external environmental factor will mean that what we consider to be fintech today just becomes the norm in five plus years time. I tend to agree with you. I think in that time frame, everything is a fintech and yeah, the yeah. term kind of gets dropped. One thing that, and one of the reasons we're doing this series is I'm a fintech CEO with iPushPull and you're on kind of the other side of the fence being probably my customer, but you're kind of acting as a as a kind of a startup in a way in, in your big organization. So probably you share my views that this area and this sector is exploding. There's so much focus from different industries outside of finance, looking at what's going on in fintech. There's so many jobs and opportunities. There's so much money being thrown and investment into fintechs. One of the things we're looking to address with work in fintech is barrier where people that are outside of fintech can't really see what's inside it. And if they can, and they have heard about fintech, it's just payments or you need to be a developer. And Neither of us are doing payments and neither of us know how to code, (laughs) but we're both in the thick of it being successful and moving forward with what we're doing. Could you just talk about fintech as a place for young people to work in and how important it is as an industry and how it's scaling up as an industry? And also the facts we've talked about generalist and skills and you kind of talk about as as T and an I shape and the facts putting that together with, you know, you don't need to be a coder. Yeah, that's one element that's very important for fintech, but it's not vital if you're looking to get into this. Could you just kind of expand upon that to break down some of those barriers for people listening to this? Absolutely. I think that's a great point. I think people do think of fintech as Revolut or someone like that, and that you have to be a developer and walk around in all stars and skinny jeans. And I definitely don't. I think that fintech requires a lot of energy. It requires people who are willing. I guess as I was kind of like, you know, Helen asked me about my team, you know, willing to learn resiliency, give with people. It also requires energy. And I think, you know, I only realize now that when you're younger, you kind of have boundless energy. And, you know, you can throw that into fintech and you can burn up that energy and you can really hopefully make a success of something. And I think that most entrepreneurs will attest to that. You probably do, Matt. I think that fintech provides a great route for young people coming out of education, either people who are computer scientists and are developers. It provides them a route into organizations where their talents are probably more valued than they would be at some traditional financial institutions. You know, I think developers are not necessarily seen as revenue generators in many financial institutions. I think we tend to think of them as very important to the fabric of JP Morgan, but I think we might be an outlier. And I think that the the kind of startup nature of fintechs lend themselves very well to young people who, you know, are maybe not sure what they want to do, and they they can drop into an entrepreneurial organisation. They can try being in marketing. They can try being in sales. They can try and be in product development. And really, at the end of the day, as long as they're pulling towards the common objective of what that fintech is and succeeding at it, then it doesn't really matter what their job role is. If we just round up, if you would find your 18-year-old self, what would you say to him? Given your unconventional path and gaining experience and knowledge in different areas, would you change anything? Or is there some shortcuts you could give to yourself? 
I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's the don't take any shortcuts, like learn the lessons, make the most of the experience and the opportunities. I'm constantly beating myself up for not working hard enough when I was younger. So I'd probably give myself a good hard time about that. I think that's it. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy the experience. Would that be like the advice you would give to yourself? Like, just enjoy it? Or would you tell you something like, okay, you have to work harder, you have to be more resilient? What would be like your thoughts? Well, you call me out there. Okay, so <laughs> work hard and enjoy it. I think that's it. Work hard, enjoy the experiences. Don't take shortcuts. Enjoy the experiences. Enjoy the failures. Enjoy the wins. Cool. On that note, thank you very much, Andy Mosson. It's, it's been a pleasure. And actually, just before we drop off, could you tell everyone what FICC means? I can do and I should have done that at the start <laughs> so it stands for fixed income currencies and commodities right, thank you Andy thank you Helen thank you Matt thank you Helen